Welcome back to Black News Tonight. The attack against teaching critical race theory in schools continues with full force. Over the weekend in Texas, the state Senate passed a bill to ban the theory, joining nearly a dozen other states who have already banned it or are well on their way to signing it into law. There is one person who is the proverbial engine behind these efforts. His name is Christopher Rufo. He is the man who is the primary advocate calling for the removal of the theory from schools and other governmental institutions. Last night, he tweeted, and I quote, in less than a year, my work inspired a presidential order, legislation in the largest red states, and bills in the House and Senate. We have flipped school boards and protected millions from state-sanctioned racism. Sykes, I'm sorry, and yesterday he also tweeted, and I quote, I learned about racism, slavery, segregation, Jim Crow, and the trail of tears in my K-12 education. I never learned about the Holodomor cultural revolution and 100 million dead from global communism. Americans haven't whitewashed history, they've redwashed it. So I wanted to discuss this in detail, not with someone like uh, Vernon Jones was here a few weeks ago, who had no idea what critical race theory was, much less uh, being able to sort of articulate a coherent thought about it. Instead, I wanted someone who has thought about this a great deal, worked very hard on his particular project to advance his work, and he generously accepted my offer to come on Black News tonight. So joining me now is Christopher Rufo. He's a senior fellow at Manhattan Institute. Christopher, thank you so much uh, for joining me. Uh, one of the things that you tweeted uh, was this idea of critical race theory being state-sanctioned racism. What makes it that? Yeah, I, I think it's an accurate description because critical race theory, as it's practiced in institutions, as it's adopted in places like public schools, uh, engages in practices that can only be described by any rational person as a form of state-sanctioned racism. In San Diego, they told people, they told teachers, quote, you are racist, you are upholding racist ideas. Uh, simply because of the color of their skin. In Cupertino, California, for example, they separated third graders. These are eight and nine-year-olds. They forced them to deconstruct their racial and sexual identities and then separated them into people who had power and privilege and people who did not. Uh, and finally, a place like even Springfield, Missouri, not exactly a, a blue city or a blue state, they, they told white male Christian teachers that by, by their inborn characteristics, they were inherently oppressors and had to atone for their covert white supremacy. Again, not judging people on their behavior, their character, their actions, their beliefs, just judging them on inborn characteristics, uh, particularly race. Okay, so there, there's two things you said there that I find uh, incredibly uh, interesting. Let me, let me start with the easier part, right? And that is you say critical race theory as it is practiced. Do I take that to mean that you don't have a problem with critical race theory as it was designed by critical race theorists, as scholars discuss it, but you're saying that in practice there's some gap between how it's conceived and how it's executed? Yeah, I, I think actually both are extremely problematic. On a theoretical level, I think critical race theory is an intellectually bankrupt theory, uh, but in itself it's harmless. Ideas uh, in theory and the abstract uh, are not necessarily harm harmful. I, I would support schools, for example, teaching critical race theory as one of many theories and then offering a critique. But what we're seeing that in practice, uh, critical race theory across a wide range of institutions, uh, including the federal government, including public schools, uh, actually, when it's actually implemented, uh, teachers are engaging in practices that uh, can only be described as 
again, a form of state-sanctioned racism, uh, promoting the ideas of race essentialism, that you can reduce people to their racial essence, the ideas of collective guilt, that if someone has uh, a similar characteristics as someone who committed a historical crime, that person should be held accountable and guilty for it. And finally, in some places, they're actually reviving racial segregation, a place like King County, Washington's public libraries now separates some training sessions for employees with one door and one room for people of color, one door and one room uh, for white employees. And uh, it's really simple. All forms of racism are wrong. It doesn't matter if they're coming from the Klan or practitioners of CRT. Uh, I, I oppose all of it. Right. So so what we're there's kind of a circular logic there, though, right? If, if you're saying CRT is racist because they do things that are racist and you oppose racism. I think where, where we have to sort of unpack this a little bit is one, the premise that pointing out racism or saying that people by virtue of their whiteness uh, are responsible or accountable for the power and privilege that they hold. I'm not sure, I'm not convinced or you have yet, for, to me, based on the reading that I've done of your work and, and the speeches that you've given, uh, made a compelling argument for how pointing out power and privilege within the context of a society is itself uh, an act of racism. And, and just to be clear, the argument of critical race theory isn't that by virtue of some biological determinism, that is to say, it's not because you come out of the womb with white skin that you are racist. It's to say that we live in a society that grants differential power and status to people based on how they are racialized. And by virtue of that, there is a racial dynamic and there is a, a, a racial inequality that's produced. And so telling white people that, yeah, in a, in a white supremacist world, whiteness has power whiteness has the ability to to control whiteness has the ability to be viewed or constructed as more beautiful more smart more sane more rational that to me I, i'm not convinced that you've made the case that that is an act of racism in and of itself could you could you help me understand that more yeah i mean i think the idea of whiteness you could say that in in your view it, it accords different different powers and privileges and and manifests in certain social inequalities uh, that's totally fine. People can teach that. People can debate that. I don't think that inherently it's racist. But I think that what we've seen through my reporting and through practices and a wide range of institutions is that once these ideas escape from academia, uh, where, again, I think on the merits they're wrong, uh, but, but not inherently harmful to individuals, but when they're actually put into practice, it does devolve into racism. And I think that even categorizing it is kind of this new world of whiteness and blackness, by its very language, you're reducing people to what I think is a racial essence. And 100 years ago, they had this idea that you could be reduced to a racial essence and then judged according to it. And I think in many ways, critical race theorists are very vague with their language, but in many ways, they're doing the same thing. They're basically saying, if you are a white male, you can be reduced to a set of, uh, of characteristics such as hard work, rationality, individualism, promotion of private property uh, that are inherently by, your, by virtue of your birth, uh, make you an oppressor. And then they put you into the overall framework of critical race theory, which divides society into that old Marxist dialectic of oppressor and oppressed, uh, but replacing those economic categories uh, with these racial categories. And I, I think that's wrong. I don't think it should be promoted in schools. And I think that states are very wise uh, to put restrictions uh, on any form of racism, any form of treating people differently, based on the color of their skin and promoting any kind of fringe theory that would advocate uh, that one race uh, is superior or inferior to another.
obviously I would dispute first that first I would dispute that it's a fringe theory if we're saying that it's so mainstream that it's infiltrating every sector of public life I think we can't we can't simultaneously dismiss it as fringe and then say it's permeating every every area of the public sphere I, I think you'd concede that point but but you you say that there is a kind of um, essentialism that it, it says white people are reduced to characteristics and an essential racial identity what critical race theorists have you read that has ever said that yeah, I mean, I, I think even look at someone as prominent as Robin DiAngelo. You have someone who says that the question is not if racism has occurred, but how she's much not a critical and in race what way theorist, racism though. manifests. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say she's a, a critical whiteness studies. A lot of her work draws on and, and cites uh, critical race theorists such as uh, Cheryl Harris and Derek Bell and others. Uh, but I, I think, you know, there's more than a semantic game. It's the really a game of in practice. And, you know, they said that communism was a perfect theory uh, in the abstract, but as it was applied over and over and over, it led to negative outcomes. I think critical race theory, which again is derived from the neo-Marxist ideologies of the 1960s, is really in, a, in, a, in the same way. When you see all of these horrific stories, for example, like the idea that white babies become racist at three months old, which was promoted by the Arizona Department of Education, among other institutions, uh, these are really indefensible, but they run under the guise of critical race theory. And I really think that we should judge critical race theorists not on the beauty of their theories as abstractions, but on the real world consequences of their ideas. I think they divide people on the basis of race. I think they treat people differently on the basis of race. And I think they're antithetical to the values of the First Amendment, which should protect people from compelled speech, the values of the 14th Amendment, which says that we should all be treated equally under the law as individuals, and then you know, antithetical to the very constitutional system which critical race theorists seek to cast doubt on. Uh, in, in the interest of time, I'm going to allow you to punt on the name, the critical race theorist point. I know you mentioned Robin D'Angelo, who you said draws from critical race theory. But I would submit that there's no critical race theorist, including the people you named like Derek Bell or Cheryl Harris or Kimberly Crenshaw, who would argue that there's a, a racial essence. In fact, critical race theory is premised on the idea that race is a social construct. It's actually pushing back against these sort of enlightenment ideas about people being uh, about biological determinism. It's saying that we're constructed in the world as people and, and the world shapes these identities. That, these, that race isn't real in the sense that it's biology. It's, it's a social construct. But let me ask you a, a, a more uh, fundamental question. Do you believe that America, American society right now uh, is easier to navigate as a white person than a black person in terms of access to social goods, education, housing, healthcare, etc. Yeah, you know, I directed a film for PBS that looked at three of America's poorest cities. I highlighted a white working class neighborhood in Youngstown, a black urban neighborhood in Memphis, Tennessee, and a Latino multiracial neighborhood in Stockton, California. And I think that the key drivers right now of inequality in America are less and less based on race and more and more based on class. Increasingly, what I saw in America's poorest communities is that people who are vulnerable, people who are marginalized, people who are at the lowest end of the economic ladder, the challenges that are facing all of them, I think the family is a big one. I think merit-based education is a big one. And I think uh, workforce participation is the third big one. Uh, actually, are really the same core set of challenges yeah, certainly it expresses itself differently. Um, you know, I would I would think that uh, as you kind of take apart those different intersections, uh, yeah, obviously, I mean, the United States has a history of racism. That is an incontrovertible fact. The real question is, what do we do about it? And I think that the critical race theorists offer the wrong solutions. And I think there are better solutions out there. I, 
I, I got you, but I just want to be sure for clarity's sake. And I understand you're saying that class is an increasing factor. And again, while you say that critical race theorists reduce things to a single essential identity, one of the most provocative and interesting and quite frankly utilized uh, pieces of critical race theory is the issue of intersectionality, which talks about not just race, but these other identity categories, these other factors, race, class, gender, geography, religion, etc. And, and certainly we could, we could bring in this, this issue of class. And I understand you're saying that class is increasingly important. Let's say I concede that point. I don't, but let, let's say I concede that point. You're still saying that race continues to matter and that race still continues to be a factor. You're not denying the fact that racism still exists and that you wouldn't. I'll give you a concrete example. Studies show that, that, that black students are less likely to, are more likely to, to be suspended, less likely uh, to graduate, more likely to receive a harsher punishment in school than their white counterparts for the same infractions. When you control for class, race still shows to be a determining factor. When you look at elite independent schools, uh, where everyone is of the same sort, or if you control for class again, race still continues to be a factor. How do you make sense of this without invoking race or racism? Well, I mean, I think that in, in that particular example, you're not really identifying a causal variable. That's a really complex question that has a lot of answers. And the problem with critical race theory is that it is reductionist at its core. It basically says that any disparities on the basis of race must necessarily, even without evidence, uh, be caused by racism and racist institutions. I, I'm not sure that's true. I think you could look at other data, for example, that shows uh, different study habits among members of different racial groups. Uh, and with Asian Americans uh, spending more time studying and putting more effort towards their studies than any other racial group, consequently, maybe causally, uh, they show the highest rates of, of, of college admissions and SAT scores. So these are hard questions. And does race play a, a part? Absolutely. I think that's that's obvious to anyone uh, that looks at the issue. But is racism the decisive part? Maybe not. Is racism a component part? What other factors are at play? Again, I think family, education, workforce participation, these are really the three big variables that people of all racial backgrounds, including black Americans, uh, should really be looking at for policy solutions, trying to figure out how can we get people that are at the bottom of the ladder uh, moving up, expressing their potential, uh, and then participating uh, to the best of their ability. Chris, we, I'd love to keep you a little bit longer. Can I go to break and bring you back and we keep this conversation going just a little bit longer? Sure. Cool, man. Everybody stay with us. We're gonna come back. We're gonna bring Christopher back so that we can have an extended conversation on critical race theory. Welcome back to Black News Tonight. I'm here with Christopher Rufo. We're talking about critical race theory. Now, Chris, Christopher, you know, maybe we'll call it just news tonight uh, while you're on so we don't have to talk about race too much. Uh, you, you talk about what's happening in schools. Um, what do you see as troublesome of letting students know early on that race is an issue, uh, that America has a, a foundation of racial inequality? Well, let me not be presumptuous. Do you, I, I think I've understood this from your writing, but for example, telling students that slavery is central to how America was built, that the founding fathers were uh, slaveholders, uh, telling them that uh, settler colonialism was a big part of the American formation. Would you see those things as problematic? Well, I mean, I think you and I would probably have different terminology, but I think that American schools have an obligation to teach the facts of history. Uh, slavery is a fact of history. Segregation is a fact of history. All those things should be taught. All those things should be uh, in the curriculum of public schools. But, but teaching, teaching history, teaching context, teaching competing viewpoints, 
is good, but what is not good is taking an ideology like critical race theory, turning it into official dogma, and then compelling students to believe in ideas uh, like, again, race essentialism, like racial superiority theory, like, uh, like, like there's value in segregating people in 2021. Uh, these patterns and practices of critical race theory are totally separate from teaching about history, teaching about injustice, teaching about racism. Uh, again, I'm totally fine with the former. I think that is really important. But I don't think that public schools should be compelling students to believe uh, in these theories. I think that legislatures have a right and a duty and an obligation uh, to, to set limits on government speech, to set restrictions uh, on what teachers uh, can, can, can promote as official state policy. Yeah, I, I think we agree that racial essentialism and racial superiority shouldn't be taught in schools. I think my pushback is twofold. One, critical race theory does not advocate racial superiority, nor does it advocate racial essentialism. It, it, its fundamental belief, its fundamental argument is that race is, is about the construction of race and that race is, is a social construct, not that there is some essential narrative that binds all people of the same racial sort. Uh, although it's interesting, earlier on when you're talking about sort of how Asians have study habits, that's its own kind of uh, racial essentialism. That actually also is contradicted by data, right? When you disaggregate it, you know, Hmong students, Cambodian students have very different outcomes than say Japanese or Chinese or Korean students, but we tend to lump them all as all being Asian. That is, is far more of a racial essentialist argument, I would say, than critical race theory uh, would argue, than critical race theory would argue. Um, but I, I think there is an interesting point here where you begin to, to think about and talk about um, how schools have an obligation to teach history that's true, to offer competing viewpoints. I think we agree there. I think the idea that we shouldn't teach racial superiority, I think we agree there. But what does it mean to point out that racism actually exists? What does it mean to talk about whiteness as an idea? You, you, you would agree that whiteness is, a, is an actual Thing, right that there, that there are that there are things that you get in society simply by virtue of being white would you would you not agree with that yeah no i i think the the idea of whiteness i mean it's a it's a pejorative label right that is a stand-in for all sorts of of negative terminologies so the idea that is being taught in public schools today in places like seattle and portland is that uh, if you are a white student you have internalized whiteness that is equivalent with being a an unconscious white supremacist that's equivalent of being a racial oppressor and that you have to go through a stage of, quote, white identity development in order to atone for the sin of being a white, in order to purge yourself as much well, as possible of your whiteness. And these are ideas and practices that are just completely insane. Uh, I think applied to any other ask you a racial category, that? it would be wrong. And I think it's wrong applied to, to, to white students in schools like Seattle and Portland. That's fair. Forgive me, I wasn't interrupting you. There was a little pause there. Um, so let me ask you a quick question first. Do you identify as white? Uh, I mean, I'm an Italian-American, so you tell me. I, I think, like, you know, my, my father, who's an Italian immigrant, <laughs> would be very confused. He'd say, what do I have in common with a Swedish person or an English person or a German person? We're totally different. We have different cultures, different languages, different customs. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that lumping people into white, black, Asian, as you suggested, is such a crude and broad categorization. I think we'd be a lot better off trying to drill down into specifics uh, and not trying to pit racial groups yeah. against one another in the political battlefield. So 
again, I, I, I understand that you're, you're Italian and I understand that there are people who are Swedish and you have, you say, what do you have in common with a Swede or with say a, Pol a Polish person or whatever? That thing, my answer to you, my, that thing would be whiteness. Um, and as you've read Critical Race Theory, I'm sure you've read the work of Ignatiev and, and, uh, and others uh, who talk about the way that ethnic groups like Italians come here, they're, they're, they're hated, first generation in particular, right? You don't speak the language. Italians were seen as bad at school, untrustworthy, all these vicious slurs around, around Italians or the Irish, for example, right? Um, when we read the work of Rodiger and others, right? And then there's a moment after second generation where you get lumped into this thing called whiteness. When somebody, when you're driving down the street and a police officer sees you or they see me, that your ethnicity isn't the point, your race is. When, when, when they please see me, they don't care whether I'm from Jamaica or Haiti or whether I'm a descendant of slaves, they just see blackness. The American Racial Project is what puts you in the same boat as a Russian or a Polish person because you all are white and whiteness becomes this thing that is a marker of power. I mean, if I were to say to you what you like about Italian, being Italian, you could name lots of customs, you could name lots of things and you can deny being white Right. But that's what whiteness studies is about. It's about outing your whiteness. You can say you're not white. You can pretend you're not white. I'm not saying you're doing that. But the world still treats you as white. And if I were to say to you right now, Christopher, what do you like about being white? What would you say? <laughs> I don't know. I, again, it's such an amorphous term. It's like a census term or a. a, but, a crude, but can can, can you do me a favor? Indulge term. me. In, indulge me for one. Just we're running out of time. Indulge me for a minute. I understand you see it as as all these things, but you surely recognize that the world sees you as white. You know, the world reads you as white. And if you were to ask me some things I like about being black, I could talk about cultural norms. I could talk about tradition. I could talk about the kind of commonalities I feel around the diaspora. If I were to ask you what particularly if you're saying whiteness is a thing that is being constructed as negative and shouldn't be name, name something positive that you like about being white. Well, sure. I, I you know, I'll, I'll answer with a, with a, a thing there. There's a lot of documents that are floating around public schools that say things like uh, timeliness, showing up on time is a white supremacist value or a white value, white dominant value. Things like rationality, things like the enlightenment, things like, uh, you know, uh, uh, objectivity. And uh, these are very strange things to be ascribed to a racial identity. My view is that these are actually should be ascribed to every individual human being, every individual human being, regardless of whatever racial category we impose on them. Well, but Christopher, that doesn't answer the of, that doesn't answer the question, though. You, you're, you're telling you're, tell, you're, you're telling me you're making straw men about things that are ascribed to whiteness that you think are wrongfully ascribed to whiteness. I'm saying if whiteness isn't a negative thing, and there's something that you actually and that whiteness actually shouldn't be constructed as all negative, name something positive about being that you believe is positive about being white. Again, I, I don't buy into the framework that the world can be reduced into these metaphysical categories of whiteness and blackness. I think that's wrong. I think we should look at people as individuals. I think we should celebrate uh, different people's accomplishments. And uh, again, I think the idea you, you mentioned Ignatiev. Ignatiev says the goal is to, quote, abolish the white race. Um, in any other context, this would be interpreted as a near genocidal slur. Uh, I don't buy into it. The reason I'm not going to answer your question is I reject that categorization. I think of myself as an individual human being uh, with my own capabilities. And I would hope that we could both judge each other as individuals. Uh, and uh, come to common values on that basis. Fair enough. I, I would argue, though, that the, the luck, that the ability to say, I don't see race, I don't recognize or own whiteness is an extraordinarily white thing to be able to do. It, it's an exercise of power and privilege. You can ignore the label of whiteness and still be able to enjoy all the spoils of whiteness. If I say I'm not black, I don't see race. I still can't get the cab. 
I still work harder for less money. I, I still don't live as long. I still get longer prison sentences. I still uh, am more likely to be executed for, if I'm convicted uh, of a crime. I, I'm still more likely to die of COVID. I'm still more likely to get suspended in school. I'm still less likely to get pain medication in a hospital. The, 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 the idea of saying that I don't see my whiteness, I don't recognize whiteness is something we can say, but to me, that is just as fantastic. It is just as unimaginably unrealistic in real life as the things, the very things you're criticizing. So to that extent, it's why we need critical race theory. We need to expose whiteness. We need to talk about race and we need to talk about a racial construct and your, your uneasiness or unwillingness, which I respect fully, and I mean that sincerely, uh, to not own whiteness or to not even take on whiteness as part of your identity is something that you can do because you can say, you know what, I'm Italian. You know what, I have a family history. But as a black person who's had those things taken, as a black person who was kidnapped from Africa, or my, my ancestors were, I don't have that luxury. I'm born into a tradition where all those things were taken away and melded together. Critical race theory is trying to expose that and talk about the intractability of it. The intractability of racism, the inability of this nation to come to terms with that is why we need critical race theory in schools. Anyway, I got to take a break. Christopher, I promise you can come back. I, I appreciate you. It was a great conversation. Uh, thank you for joining me. And everybody, stay with us. Let us know what you think about this conversation. Much more coming up.